Thank you all so much for joining me. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for being full-time in our life. We ask that you allow us to receive your word today. Let it resonate in our hearts. Let us abide by the things that we need to so that we can fulfill your plan, will, and purpose. God, keep our hearts softened and melted for you so that we're able to just be accepting of the plans that you have. God, let us also give the Holy Spirit the ability to reside in us. Let, let the Holy Spirit take residence in us, Lord God. Let us do the things that we need to do so that we can fulfill all the things that you have for us. God, we need to be able to see things from your perspective, not our own. We need to hear from your ears and not our own. So allow us to see and hear from your eyes and ears so that we can see and hear people the way that you want us to see and hear them. So we're not looking at them from our perspective, but we can see and hear them from yours. So it's all about being more like you. So allow us to be more like you, God. You said in your word that we are to be like you. So God, allow us to be like you. Um, we We just ask that you reshape the things in our life that has been broken and shattered so that we can fulfill your plan, will, and purpose. Let us not just please you in a way where we're just obedient, but let us be obedient in a way where we can give you joy, where we're your prized possession, Lord God, where we can you, we can do things that will make you happy. And so, God, we want to do more than just be obedient. We want to live a life that's pleasing to you. So we fall short every single day. And so, God, we need you to be our strength when we are weak. You said that in our weakness, you are made strong in our weakness. So let us get so sick of sin that we become so frustrated with it that we abandon sin and its impact on our life. God, you said for us to be perfect, even, even as you are. So we want to be mature like you, God. Allow us to be more like you. Allow us to think more like you. Allow us to, you know, um, just live a life that's more like you. Give us more of you, God. We want more of you. So we ask that you please fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to be quickened by the Holy Spirit so that um, we can know exactly what your plan, will, and purpose is for our life. And also, God, we thank you that for greater is the Holy Spirit inside of us than the spirit that is in this world. So we ask that you allow us to minister grace to those that are hearing and also let us influence each and every person that we come in contact with through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that we dominate in this world through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we conquer all things. Um, and so I thank you so much for giving me access to you. Thank you for giving us the ability to have a direct connection with you. It's more than a privilege and honor to be able to communicate with you guys. So we just ask that you just please, um, just please lead me in this discussion. Allow me to discuss everything that I need to today, everything that you reveal to me. Don't let me forget anything. And God, please allow your will to be done in our life. Not our will or anyone else's will, but your will. Okay. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is sealed in your atonement blood. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, your patience. I've started a little late today. Um, I was just looking up like what I really wanted to talk about. God has been giving me so much information. And so um, 
I don't want to overcrowd your minds with all of this information. I want to make sure that I'm giving it to you exactly at a pace and rhythm that God wants. Okay. So, um, today I've been reading really about knowledge, right? And so when we go to Hosea four and six, it says, um, so this is in the old Testament. So the old Testament is written in Hebrew. So I was trying to actually study the Hebrew, um, definitions uh, through the strong concordance and so hosea 4 and 6 it says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge and so this was kind of like it just god was speaking to me about this okay because it's so much that is happening around the world and then i was also i had a conversation um about you know what does it mean to have a lack of knowledge and so when you really think about when you think about your life and the decisions that you make in your life, it's like before you had the knowledge that you have, you are a fool to it. You are not aware of it, right? So I want to look at the word knowledge um, in the strong concordance. And so let me give you just a brief overview of what the strong concordance is. And I know I do this quite often, and that's only because there's more people that are joining every single day. So the Strong's Concordance basically is an uh, interpretation of the Bible. The Bible is, com the complete Bible is the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the Old Testament is written in Hebrew scrolls, and the New Testament is written in Greek. And so we have the, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so that's considered the Torah. It's the law. So that's the law that God had made, right? And um, the New Testament, it is it's written in um, Greek. And the first four books is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so that is considered the Gospels. And when we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can see and read about the life of Jesus. And so basically, Jesus was 100% man, and he was also 100% God. And so what we see in scriptures is that Jesus was made just as low as the angels. So he was he became human. All right. So now we see in several scriptures how God was 100 percent man and 100 percent God. So the first instance of this we can see in the in the Torah, which is in the book of Genesis. We see in Genesis chapter three. Um, it talks about no Genesis two, where God says, let us make man in our image. So us is referencing the Holy spirit, the Trinity. So the Trinity, even though it's not mentioned in the Bible, right? It doesn't specifically say the Holy Trinity, right? But we know that when it says us is referencing the father, which is God, the word, which is logos in Hebrew, which means Jesus or the Christ. It means the Christ in Hebrew and um, the Holy Spirit. So you have you have um, God, the Father. You have the Word, which is Logos, right, in Hebrew. And so that means the Christ. And then you have the Holy Spirit. So in the Torah, is where it mentions, let us make man in our image. So God was referring to the Holy Trinity. So when you break that word down, because it's all about sometimes looking at the etymology of certain words. Etymology is just like finding the root of words. And so um, God is so fascinating and so inspiring that when you really, really dive deeper into his word, 
it becomes even more fascinating the more you read it. Okay, so we see, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, in our, so God is saying our, and God is also saying us. So we see that the Holy Trinity is mentioned throughout the Bible, okay? Um, it doesn't specifically state Holy Trinity, all right? So I just want you all to know that. Next, we see that the life of Jesus, he is made low as the angels, okay? When he's made as low as the angels, he's he's created in, in a human form. So we're clothed in skin, as we see this in Genesis chapter 3, that God had clothed us in skin. And so we are actually living souls, living spirits. And um, with Jesus, with him being here on earth, what he did was he never, ever used any of his godly power to defend himself. Okay. It wasn't his purpose. His purpose was here. He, he was here to basically die on the cross for our sins because we are automatically condemned to death because of the sinful nature. So the law itself could not particularly help in a way where it can provide complete salvation because of the desires that lurks within us are always trying to overpower the goodness that's within us. So we're because because of Eve mistake, um, it brought about the evil and goodness Um that lurks with inside of the spirit of us, of humans, of man. So um, we're everyone is, is going to have evil and everyone is going to have good, right? And so the point of the matter is, is in order to receive salvation, we have to have the atonement of our sins because the law doesn't equate to us letting go of the fulfillment of our desires. So we have to say no to our desires, but it's so it's difficult to do that, right? But with Jesus Christ, we have the ability to do that. So when we look at um just the life of Jesus, so now he's one hundred percent man, he's one hundred percent God. He doesn't use his um power to defend himself, even when he was in front of Pontius, um, the Roman Catholic uh who actually gave the authorization for his um crucifixion. You know, he said, well, why I have the power to basically um, save your life. And, and so Jesus didn't even defend himself then. And so we see that he was handed over to the Jews, uh, which were the same people that were supposed to be a part of his, you know, house. Like uh, he, he's there all supposed to, you know, believe in the law. Um, but without Jesus um, death on the cross, salvation could never take place because the law continued to allow people to be inspired by their sinful desires. And so the atonement of our sins needed to take place in order for us to be able to move forward and receive salvation. So Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross for the same people that were spitting on him and beating on him. Okay. He was humble. And so he, when he resurrected, he resurrected the third day and then he stayed on earth for 40 days, basically to, you know, help the people realize that, that he is the Messiah. And, um, so he, he stayed and talked to people, even doubting Thomas, um, many other Jews, the, the priests of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, right? They even wanted to kill people for spreading the word that he had resurrected. So even with them saying he resurrected 
after being crucified, they still didn't want to spread their word. They were just like a number one enemy of Jesus Christ. Okay, so he stayed for 40 days and then he uh, uh he ascended into heaven. Ten days later, he sent down the Holy Spirit and the apostles became drunken with the Holy Spirit. Right. And what we see is the number 50 means Pentecost. All right. So that's the day of Pentecost. And what we understand about all of this is that we have access to the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus Christ was on the cross and he died, um, when he was crucified, he said, my God, my God, why have you have forsaken me? And so some people, they're, they're a bit confused, but see, God isn't a God of confusion. Anytime you want to know something, ask God and he'll reveal it to you. Okay. So what really baffles me sometimes is that people that don't believe in God, they never get, they have never given God a chance to even, um, show him who he is. So I hear a lot of people talk about them, you know, talk about God and this and that, but they've never really given God a chance in their life. So in order for you to know something, you have to give it an opportunity. So if you go on a, a family vacation and you're going to Great America or you're going to Walt Disney World, right? You're going to all of these places. If you're going camping, wherever you're going, you're not going to know what the experience is like unless you go. So in order to, for, to understand how God can make you feel, you have to give him a chance to come into your heart. You have to give him a chance in your life in order for you to experience and understand who he is. And so um, many of the religious Pharisees, they did not uh, allow God to ex experience what his, um, what his goodness was. But after his crucifixion and resurrection, they... Some some religious Pharisees they were converted over and they began to believe in God. So um God was like really having me focus on the lack of knowledge, right? And so when we look in the um the Strong's Concordance, it they have so many different Strong's Concordance, and I already covered this. Um, but I the one that I use specifically is the Strong's Concordance.org, and so what it does. It's comprised of like hundreds of scholars. And what they do is they have interpreted the Hebrew um, scrolls and also the Greek. And then they translate it for us in English. But each word has its own um, Strong's number or lexicon number. And each word has its own Strong's word or lexicon word. And so if we type in the word, like for instance, I type in the word um, lack. And the word lack has 14 different verses, but it has eight different meanings. So, for instance, the word perfect, it is Strong's number A5. It's, it's Strong's number A535, and it means Tam. So, it's spelled T-A-M, and that is in Hebrew, right? And uh, what it means is to be mature in nature and in thought. So, the word perfect is written in the Bible 94 different times, but it has 23 different meanings. And so... When you look at the dictionary, like the Merriam Dictionary, it has um, nine different, I think eight different meanings of the word perfect. So when we're analyzing the word of God, we are not going to be looking at the dictionary for what the word of God means, because it means something completely different. All right. Um, we So we see that this word, so I, I wanted to look up the word knowledge, right? And so the word knowledge... It is actually Strong's number, um, one 
0847, but you can denote the zero because the zero is actually a meaningless number. Um, you could just look at the four numbers or the three numbers usually. Um, so it is Strong's number 1847. It is pronounced the at the at. It is derived from Strong's number 3045, which this form of knowledge is cunning, is ignorant, it is um unaware, right? And it's unwittingly. And so that's what that means. So we're in Hosea 4 and 6. And it's talking about my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so how do you know um, if you have a lack of knowledge in something? So what God, God was telling me was, um, so this was last week I was studying this part where God had uh, gave me a revelation about the conscious. So our consciousness, our conscious mind is our co-perception. And our, our minds is always going to be led by our perception and discernment. So our influence is basically from the way that we perceive things and the, your ability to have discernment. So your decisions are also inspired by your influences. And when you think about... The way you react to things in life is really about your perception. So your perception is the navigation for your behavior, the way you're perceiving it. Sometimes some people may say things or do things to us because they just wanted to make you upset or they wanted to say something to compliment you. And so you receive the compliment. Other people, they just say things and you have a perception about it. It could be perceived as um, some people are prejudiced, right? And so you can perceive what they're saying or doing as being prejudiced. Or you can perceive what another person is doing as being racist. Or you could just perceive it as another person just showing love and being genuine and authentic and thorough, right? It just really depends on your perception. So when we're thinking about these things, I wanted to point to another scripture because it's, it can be used interchangeably. And so you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Okay. It says, um, do not deceive yourselves. And it's like, okay, well, wait, just looking at this first part before I even go any further. How can I deceive myself? How can I deceive myself? How can you deceive yourself? And so what God has been telling me for a long time is like, you, you wouldn't know that you're deceived unless you are revealed the truth. And so the truth sets you free. It's like a person that's deceived and they're living a life of deception. They're not going to know that they're deceived until somebody reveals the truth to them. So for instance, if somebody is, you know, I don't know, like if somebody is is maybe just about to make the wrong investment. And so you have a um, investor who's saying, no, no, don't invest in that. Don't do that. And then you have another person that's like, no, um, it's pretty good money. Go ahead and invest in chocolate. You know, chocolate Hershey's is about $3,500 a share. Go ahead and invest in chocolate. 
But that person doesn't tell you that it's seasonal, right? Like cookies are seasonal. So you're going to invest in that seasonal, so, you know. Um, but I'm just using it as an analogy, example, because people make decisions and they hope for the best. They anticipate the right thing to take place. They anticipate that their decision is something that is going to lead them to something good. So it's all about really, you know, uh, what is motivating you? What is driving you in life? And so our motivation comes from, it's actually internal. Everything that we do is internal, okay? Um, so dopamine is basically like, a, um, it's part of your brain that, that gets activated when you receive a reward, so, for instance, if you made the right investment, it's like, okay, I just made the right investment. You're so excited about it, you know. And um, so now you know that you can listen to that investor who gave you the right investment. But the minute you do something wrong with the wrong investor, it's like, oh, okay, you don't feel that reward system. So when you think about everything that you do, including when you're deceived and don't know that you're deceived, it's all about what's inside of you. Everything is internal. Everything. Your ability to stay motivated, your confidence intervals, um, you know, your relationships, your network is all about your perception. Including your co-perception, which is your conscious. So your conscious is really shaped by some of your strong um, beliefs, stronger beliefs. But that's just a co-perception. It isn't the navigation for your life. So looking at this um, scripture, 1 Corinthians 3 and 18, do not deceive yourselves. Do not deceive yourselves. How are people deceived? They deceived because they choose to believe a lie over the truth. And so, like, let, let me explain this for a moment. Okay, I know that, like, this that's just an easy statement to say. And now I remember, um, okay, so <sighs> this past week, I have been talking in class specifically about well, I made a statement about, um, what was it? I think it was Albert Einstein. He said that if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, then you don't understand it. And so being in higher education, what I've noticed is sometimes it could be a rigorous process for people to explain certain things to some people. For instance, biology or chemistry a lot of chemists they can't just simply go and explain something like the way maybe dr dubna dr jennifer dubna she is the founder or um of crispr technology and the way she explains crispr is like cut and paste of dna now that's a simple term to use to get everyone to be able to understand that but that doesn't mean everyone is still going to understand that right so what God was explaining to me was we are only deceived by things because you chose to believe these things. 
You chose to believe if a person says, okay, you know, I would like to help you. It's like, for instance, the government. The government helps so many people, so many minorities, right? And when you think about it, you really, really think that you're getting help. But there is no free lunch program. There is no free lunch. You have, you have to give up some freedoms in order to get something in return. So just because you get this free lunch, guess what? You're giving up some other things that you don't know about. You're inadvertently doing that. And so when the government is basically playing the, the dead or father role in your life, that's called paternalism. That's the government acting as a father in your life to say, okay, this is how much you can make. This is what you can do. This is what we're going to help you with. And that's what the government do. And they do it through paternalism. And so people accept it and they say, okay, well, they helping me. But really, is it really helping you? How can paternalism help anybody? So let's look at this word. I want to give you the exact definition of uh, paternalism so that that way you all can like fully understand what this is. So paternalism. There are a couple different definitions here. Um, I'm trying to see which one would be the most credible. Um, let's look. Okay, so paternalism. I'll give you a few uh, synopsis from, from each place. So uh, Stanford has a definition. I didn't know that they created one. Britannica has one too. I actually like using Britannica. So I'll, I'll look at the Britannica one. So paternalism is an attitude and practice that are commonly, um, though not exclusively, understood as an infringement on the personal freedom and autonomy of a person or class of persons with the benefit, uh, benefits, uh, benefit or protective intent. So paternalism generally involves competing claims between individual liberty and authoritative social control. So when you think about this, let's go look it up somewhere else too. So let's look at the Merriam Dictionary. So it says a system under which an authority undertakes to supply needs or regulate conduct of those under its control in matters affecting them as individuals as well as in their relations to authority and to each other. Paternalism. So the government constantly, constantly try to embark on the freedoms of people through paternalism. It's like control. It's the authoritative control. But see, God's word, guess what the Bible is? The Bible is God's authoritarian word. It's his authoritative word. So who are we going to listen to? Who? You should, we should be listening to God. So let's, let's, I want to go to another scripture here too. Um, okay, here we go. So let's go to Proverbs chapter four, verse 14 through 19. Okay. I love Proverbs. Actually, it's just so much information in Proverbs. I believe that Albert Einstein used a lot of the, the word of God and he took it from the book of Proverbs because I sometimes look at a lot of his quotes and I compare it to what's in scripture. Um, so anyway, uh, Proverbs chapter four, verse 14 through 19, it says, do not set foot 
on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. So let's just look at that part right there. Let's place emphasis on this. So if you walking in the path of wicked or evil, you know, like that's something that we, it, we do this all the time and we're not, we're not purposely doing it. Right. Um, okay. We do this and we're not purposely doing this. You inadvertently making decisions where you are in the way of wicked people. And how? Well, think about it. Everybody has family members that are. Everybody has family members that are, that could be evil and that could also be wicked. But because they are a family, you know, some people try to avoid the fact that they are like indulging in certain activities that is not correct, right? So right is right and wrong is wrong. And so that's the way I kind of look at life. I look at it from a perspective of it doesn't matter about who's right. It doesn't matter ever. It's always about what is right in the situation. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If you're wrong, you're wrong. If whoever is wrong, we are all wrong. Okay. It's not about who. It's not about the who. It isn't about you. It isn't about me. It isn't about that. It's about what we're standing for. So I know I'm kind of like going all over the place with these scriptures, but I have another one, right? And they all kind of go together. They overlap. They intersect right now. So let's look at Matthew. I want to go to Matthew. Um, Let's go to Matthew chapter, chapter 10. Verse 34, chapter 10, verse 34. So this says, um, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So what does this mean? Okay. Let me just explain what it means. So what God is saying here is that people, for instance, the people that you love, the people that you know, right? They may be very well involved in evil acts or wicked acts. So God is saying, look, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, meaning that uh, your enemies will be members of your own household. So that means that maybe maybe you're listening to a father that is doing wicked things in this world. Maybe you're listening to a mother and that is doing wicked things in this world, evil. Maybe you're listening to, you know, your in-laws that are doing wicked things in this world. So when you think about all of this, the only person that really has the most 
influence in your life will be members of your household will be members in your immediate family right i always like to say since i've been through i kind of i've been through a lot right and um when i think about how i've overcome so many things right i was able to overcome because of god but i was married and when i was married my ex-husband his family were in like they are the Ku Klux Klan, 100%, 1,000%. And so his family was like his grandfather actually was the, uh, I think, what do you call him? They call it uh, the, I forget what you call them. They they call them the, um, let's see, what is the, what do you call it? The chief of the Ku Klux Klan, the, the, uh, the, the Grand Wizard. That's what he is. His grandfather was a Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. And so, not everyone in his family is racist. But I would say 98% of them are. And so, we had kids. And we have beautiful children. But his mom, you know, she's one of the most inspiring women that I have ever seen in my life. She is a very inspiring woman so inspiring i've never even been around such a strong woman as she she is a inspiration really she is and if you think about racism it's like you know if anybody if anybody could impact her family it would be her it wouldn't be any outsiders that would influence her family when it comes to racism because her dad is the grand wizard which is my kid's grandmother their great-grandfather is the grand wizard of the ku klux klan so my kids are biracial now think about how we've overcome as a family unit we did it through God. She is the inspiration because she was navigated by God. See, her dad didn't know that when she was born that she wouldn't like racism. She wouldn't be racist. Her dad didn't know that. He's a grand wizard. 100% German. So when you think about the impact that you have on other people, you have to think about the influence that other people have in your life. So yes, when God says that, look, I did not come to bring peace on the earth. He came to bring a sword. He came to turn a man against his father. A daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Don't ever read that scripture the same again. Because her, her dad is 100% white. 
Grand Wizard Ku Klux Klan. And she wanted no part in it. So there are people in this world that are actually not about the evil. They're not about the wickedness that is going on. They don't want no part in it. Even if they was raised that way. She was raised to be a racist. But she rejected it. She rejected it. She want no part in racism. She want no part in discrimination. She wants no part in prejudice. And so when you think about this, you have to understand that a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. So the only people who can influence you really are the people that know you. I can't walk up to you in a coffee shop and be like, look, don't bat that coffee. You should bat some tea. Are you going to listen to me or are you going to listen to your sister or your friend or whoever you're with? They have more influence over you than somebody else. So the influence that you have is inspired by other people. second please because now my phone is ringing and i just um one moment okay so the influence that other people have over you depends on the amount of power that you give them. Let me explain that again. The influence that other people have over you is by the amount of power that you have given them over you. Giving people power to influence you. Now, for instance, do you give people power to influence the type of coffee you drink? Do you give people power to influence the type of clothes you buy? Do you give people power to influence the type of car you drive? Do you give people power to influence your life? How much power are you giving other people? So we have to talk about deception and power. See, because when somebody's deceived, they don't know that they are deceived. Clearly. Clearly, they do not know that they are deceived. 
You don't know that you bought the wrong car until it breaks down. You don't know that you moved into the wrong house until you find something broken. You don't know that you had the wrong friends unless you get betrayed. You didn't know that she was for, for the streets until she kept cheating on you. You didn't know that he was just like a, a thirsty man that just, just have a lack of self-control until he just went around sleeping with everybody. So none of these things you know right away, do you? If we all knew, then that would mean that you don't need to be taught anything. I'm not going to use the word perfect because we know that perfect means to be mature. So when we think about our influence and who's influencing us, how are you giving other people power to influence you? So let's go back. Let me reverse back to a couple scriptures that I already talked about. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 18 again. Do not deceive yourselves. That statement is so powerful. Because it's like, well, wait, how am I deceiving myself? So today I was talking to a friend and he was like, um, he said, he was like, you know, the Bible, the Bible don't even give us all the information that we need. And like, he was yelling at me. He's like, the Bible don't give us the information we need. So I don't want to listen to it right now. I'm not, I'm not, he, he basically was upset about some things that's going on in his life. So he kept saying, well, I'm not the Bible. That, that ain't everything in the Bible. I said, okay. So if that's not everything in the Bible, what part of the Bible are you abiding by with the little part that you do have? Since you complaining about, oh, see, this not the whole Bible. What part can you listen to? I mean, you, you got a, a, a big section, you know, like it's from the book of Genesis to Revelation. What part of it is changing you? Because if that part not from Genesis to Revelation... How you going to take in some more? You need more of, of the thing that you not abiding by. Is that what you're saying? Because see, <laughs> don't deceive me. 
You can't deceive me. You have to make sense. But see, the word of God makes perfect sense to me. It's more than logic that we call logic in the world. When people speak, we, we actually hear, we hear the word of God being spoken. I want to know from everybody that have a problem with the Bible, what part of the Bible are you abiding by that you need more that you think is lost and not in there? Oh, this is not everything. This is not everything. Well, this is what God allowed to be everything. See, I can't buy a house without the approval of God. I can't move in life or do nothing without first God approving it, authorizing it. Whatever it is that I do, it's because God approved it first. So you have the Bible because God allowed it to be. So whatever isn't there for you, which part of the lost part that you want a bad, bad, if you get that. See, because I don't want to hear about that. I want to hear about like, God, help me not to be deceived. If you saying, this is what you saying in your word. Do not deceive yourself. I don't want to be deceived then. So it says, if any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. And so I talked about this, I think a couple weeks ago, before you knew how to drive, you didn't know how to drive. Before you knew how to talk, you didn't know how to talk. Before you knew how to be a friend, you didn't know how to be a friend. Before you knew anything that you know now, you didn't know it before you knew it. So what does that mean? That means that we all have been fools. No one is exempt from being a fool. My granddaddy, <laughs> when I think about my granddaddy, oh my God, my grandfather, he was a hedonist. I don't think that he ever labeled himself as a hedonist or a hedonism, um, but he was, okay? My grandfather, he believed in life is all about enjoyment and pleasure. That's it. If you're not enjoying life, 
you're living but not truly living and so this is my granddaddy attitude he felt like oh well see i don't have to, he's you're not going to stress him out at all period my grandfather was 80 something years old when he passed away last year and he meant so much to me i always would go around him just to be inspired I mean, even when he got his leg amputated, he just wouldn't even stop smiling, living life still after that. He's like, oh, where my leg go? See, I got to get up. He like, where my car keys at? I was like, granddad, you know, I don't know what happened to your car. I think your daughter got it. My granddaddy haven't been driving in over 20 years. But I go along with it because guess what? That was just Alzheimer's. When I make his food, he be like, how much I owe you, baby? I, I got to give you a tip. I be like, just put it on your tab. Put it on the tab. It's okay. I'm just your waitress every day. Okay. You owe me, but you always pay. So it's okay. It's okay. But make me some more boiled, boiled eggs and milk. I be like, you sure that's what you want? Yeah, little darling, thank you, thank you. And I'm going to give you $20 tip next time. I be like, oh, okay, all right, cool. I'm going to add that to your tab, okay? But really, it, it's really about the relationship and building that relationship. It isn't about who's right or who's wrong in that instance. It's about him believing that I was the waitress. He believed that he had a car. He just knew his wallet was on the side of his diaper. Where my wallet at? Where my money? You know, so that point is, is that that's his truth. Doesn't mean that he's deceived. See, many times you're doing things in life and guess what? That's your truth. You don't think you're deceived. It's like, well, wait, wait, wait now. I'm not deceived about anything. I know what I'm talking about. Well, if God can't tell you anything, who can? So I was having a conversation with my friend today. I say, okay. Well, let's get down to the bottom of this. Okay. 24 hours in a day. How often are we talking to God? I'm going to say it again. 24 hours in a day how often are we talking to god that's what i asked my friend now that's what i'm asking you in 24 hours in a day how often are you talking to god
So if you answer that with zero, that means you could be deceived. Zero minutes a day. You're not spending no time with God. None. 24 hours. But well, see, you know, God know, God know I love him. See, God love me. God know I love him. He do? How would he know that? How do God know that we love him? How do you know when people love you? They show you they care. Let's talk about this. Let's just be real and honest. Okay. So when people in this world show that they care for you, they do things to show they care. They spend time with you. They're going to make their way across the whole town to make you sure you had that food that you wanted to eat. They're going to call and talk to you. They communicate with you every day. Usually. I don't know no person that don't want to talk to me every single day. Because my friends want to talk to me every day. So they show that communicating. They show by showing up for me. They show up when I need them. I wouldn't care where I'm at. I could be in Canada. And my friends like, look, look, I'm about to take the first flight out. I'd be like, nah, nah. See, I don't want no company right now. I'm just relaxing. I'm trying to enjoy this Canada space. Okay. Everybody want to move with me everywhere I go. It's like, wait, wait, people been living with me my whole life. So let me explain. When people care, you're going to do things to show that you care. If you say you love God, you're going to do what you need to do. To our, prayer is a conversation. You say you love God, but you're not having no conversations with God. That's like coming home to your spouse from a long, hard day of work. No communication. Every day they go past, your spouse not talking to you. They're going to be like, well, what's wrong? Did I do something to you? And see... You don't compare God to man. But let's let me under, let me just explain this. If you're you putting more value on people than you put on God, why are you complaining about your problems? You made her more important than you made God important. You made him more important than you made God important. And then as soon as something go wrong, like betrayal, 
And God has this scripture right here to say, do not deceive yourselves. It's like, oh God, now you have time to talk. We call God as soon as we make a mistake. Oh God, how did this happen? Oh God, how did I end up? Oh, how I end up like this. Oh God, how I end up with this type of car note. Lord Jesus, how I end up with this mortgage. God is saying, do not deceive yourselves. So deception starts with, and, and so this is, let me tell you another revelation, you guys, right? God gave me another revelation. God is just constantly talking to me. So now I know, like, this is what God told me to. He said, say no to your desire. So it reminded me of the commercial back in the 1980s with Mr. T. And he said, no, say no to drugs. That's how you have to think about desires. It's an addiction. And then they have another commercial back in the 80s. It, it was like, this is your brain on drugs. And they frying the egg. And then they say, say no to drugs. <laughs> So I don't know why this commercial just like popped up visually in my mind. And so God allowed me to see this commercial and make me think about desires. Oh my God, how do sexual desires have to do with that commercial? So God was like, look, it isn't about the context of that commercial. It's about the message, the, the root meaning of the commercial. The root meaning of the commercial is saying, say no to your desires. See, yes, people are on drugs, but guess what? Sex is a drug for some people. So that means that fornication is also a drug for some people. So it isn't about this Mr. T commercial back in the 80s. It's really about the message that God was getting me to convey through this commercial that I remember as a kid. Say no to your desires. These desires that deceive you. So do not deceive yourselves. Remember that if you, you are smart or wise, you have to become a fool in order for God to teach you. So I want to look up this, this word in the Strong's Concordance so that that way it's not, it's not any confusion behind, of, behind it, okay? So I'm looking at the word fools in the Strong's Concordance 
based upon the scripture that we was just looking at and um in uh first corinthians so first corinthians 4 4 i believe that was 410 that we no actually it was not and it's not showing up here hold on one sec trying to find it okay so we see that first well let's look at this let let's just let's just look at um second corinthians then because i'm trying to look at the scripture where it says fools it says <coughs> a fool is somebody that is unwise so basically in order for us to be teachable you have to become teachable otherwise you are deceiving yourself the problem is is that we all go through life and we continue to make choices and decisions because of being unteachable unteachable people are unteachable So God doesn't want us to deceive ourselves. And so I want to go back to this scripture. Proverbs 4, verse 14 through 19. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil doors. So people that are your family members, your friends, people that that you that you've given power to influence you. I can't just walk up to somebody and say, "Can you go grocery shopping for me?" I need you to go to the store, and I need you to go do this, and I also need you to go pay this bill, and I want you to go pay this water bill, and I want you to go pay my phone bill. And I'm a, you know like, you don't walk up to strangers and ask them to do anything for you especially not anything that is like very important to you because it'll be hit or miss they might they might not they might they might not but your friends your family that you love people that you love had a strongest influence in your life. They are the ones that have power in your life. So this is why God is saying, look, I did not come to bring peace to the earth. I came to bring a sword. For I, this is what it says in Matthew 10, 34. For I've come to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. So the, the household, meaning, let, like, let's look at this word household. For instance, Now, when we're looking in the Strong's Concordance, you have to make sure that you're looking 
edit from the King James Bible. Because what happens is you can, um, it basically tells you the exact definition of the word in the King James Bible. Okay. So we're going to look this up household um and go to matthew matthew chapter 10 and look at this word household so this doesn't even it doesn't show there oh no 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 i'm sorry yes it do yes it do let me go back okay all right so matthew chapter 10 Verse 36, it says, and a man's foe shall be they of his own household. So let's look at the lexicons, household. So the word household is pronounced O-Kiakos, A-Kiakos in Greek. It is um, lexicon number 3615. It means familiar. That is relatives, familiar relatives. They, them of his own household. Familiar. This is what the word household means. Familiar relatives. It doesn't mean specifically people that live with you. So don't get that confused. So looking back at Matthew chapter 10 in verse 34 a man's enemies will be the members of his own household that simply means what it means is okiakos okiakos familiar your household are your familiar relatives familiar people you're familiar with not people that it doesn't say people you live with so i know that when you read in the scripture it's like okay well wait so god is saying your enemies are people that you live with no so this is why god wants us to study his word people are always talking about well well see it's it's so much missing from the bible no 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 you have the perspective of the Roman Catholics. That's what's missing. You have perspective from them Jews. That's what's missing. The Jews that they crucified Jesus. You had a perspective of Pharaoh and the people in Egypt that was worshiping all these other gods. You have their perspective. But, but see, God... God destroyed Pharaoh. So what perspective do you need from that? What other perspective do you need when Pharaoh was destroyed? So if you're looking at the Egyptian gods, these supposedly gods, Ra, which means evil in Hebrew. But what, what, why would you need that perspective? God allowed the Bible to be the Bible. This is our Bible. This is what God has given us. So if you're reading in scripture, Matthew 10 and 34, and it says, look, 
This says a man's enemies will be members of his household. It isn't talking about people that live with you. It's talking about familiar relatives, familiar. That is relatives. They are them of your own household, people that are in your household, but also familiar relatives. And then if you break that word down further, it's always going to mean people that you're familiar with. So your enemies will be the people you're familiar with. That's O Kiakos. O Kiakos in Greek. Greek number 3615. And it isn't about just throwing out these words and reading these scriptures. We need to understand what God's word is saying to us. At some point, we've all been deceived. But in order for you to know that you deceived, you need to self-reflect on yourself. If I say, okay, let's see. Let me, let me look and analyze myself. Am I talking to God a lot throughout the day? Or am I not? Do I read my Bible? Am I listening to the word of God? Am I making mistakes? Yes. All of these is yes, yes, yes. So I need to understand, okay, where, how, is it possible that I'm being deceived about something? Yes, it is. Possibility always exists. So it isn't about me saying, oh, okay, yeah, you know, everything in my life is just right, you know. Because, see, I'm too honest with myself for me to deceive myself. I mess up. As soon as I mess up, I repent. Oh, God, I feel bad about what I did. I don't want to do it no more. I feel bad about fornicating. I feel bad about it. I don't want to do that no more. So it isn't about what other people think about you. It's really about what, what do God think about you? Because they're not giving you no peace. God can give you peace. So why not trust the one that can give you a peace of mind. You think I'm about to be dealing with somebody else's shenanigans? Absolutely not. I'll be like, uh-uh, see. I'm not attracted to no man that don't believe in God. It's like, see, I thought I did. Like, I thought I liked you. But see, you, you, I want you to be like, believing in God. Other than that, you just talking about too many things that could lead to stress. I don't have no stress. I don't want to be around nobody that's constantly trying to lead me to stress. I'm not stressed out about nothing. I, I have 200 page publication that I'm writing. 
a manuscript. I'm writing this to be published in a national journal. I'm not even stressed out about that. And I get scrutinized about it all the time. I'm also writing a book. I have to do a, my podcast every single day of my life. I've been doing it for the past year. So that means every day I have to show up and make sure that I'm ready to talk and discuss the word of God every day. It doesn't matter if I was sleeping. Because when you dedicate something to God, that's what you have to stick to. And even if you mess up on the journey, you get right back on your knees and pray, God, I messed up. Do you give up in the middle of training or at a job? And you're like, look, I don't know how to do this. I quit. Like, wait, 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 your wife, you're going to come home and she's going to be like, what you mean you quit? You have to pay some bills in here. You about to go sell some bottles of water. Or you about to get that job back. That's what I used to say. Go sell some bottles of water. I don't care what you got to do. You're not going to sit in my face. You don't give up in the middle of training. Who told you to give up? And then that's what my inspiration is supposed to be. I'm Am I supposed to look up to the head of the house who gives up in the middle of training? So when God is showing you something, I'm supposed to look up to you while you walking around here with your mouth filled with profanity. You going to make... You're going to make me want to just curse everybody out. Why do I want to be influenced by a man that just curse all day long? I don't want to be inspired by that. I start cussing the people out when they talking about my publication. I'm like, and see, and no, 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 no. Don't tell me I wrote 200 pages. You did it. So I want you, of course you want to be with somebody who's going to inspire you to do the right thing in the Lord. Do I want to be sitting up here like all oh, these desires of my flesh, desire, desire. You want somebody you can look up to in a way where. They are inspired by God. So guess what? You're going to wake up to them and be inspired by God. I don't need you inspiring me to depression. Don't inspire me to be stressed out. I don't want to hear all of them problems. I want to hear, let's pray about this. Come on, what are we going to do? God, we coming to you. Let's get on our knees and pray. We going to tell God on them. See, that's what I do. I'm going to tell God on you. I'm going to be like, God, you know, 
And every time when I go to the throne, when I go to the throne talking to God, I be like, well, God, you know, because, well, today, let me just get, let me give you this example of what conversation that me and God was having today. So earlier, I was talking about just, um, I was talking to God about helping the people that has been violated by governmental systems. And whenever there are civil injustices, for instance, whenever there is violations that have been put on people and they have no control over it. For instance, if your friend betray you, you don't have to talk to that friend again. You could pray for them, but that doesn't mean you're going to have to talk to them again. You don't have to be around them, right? If if your spouse cheat on you, some people, they just get a part, that person a divorce and they leave it there. They don't even see God. But when governments, governments and other organizations, when there are things that's taking place where people don't have a choice meaning that their liberties are being violated their spaces are being violated their privacy is being violated when you have all of these different things and see this is the message this is the message that god wanted me to say i i, I was going to get around to this um so God, this is what God explained to me. He said that when you pray, because like yesterday I prayed about leadership. And so God was like, so when you pray about leadership, I wanted you to know this. That yes, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But understand that the more violations that God's children is receiving. The more you can anticipate his return. Because vengeance is the Lord. And when these civil injustices, see, I don't, I don't pray for vengeance on enemies and stuff like that. I pray that my enemies let go of the indoctrination of evil. I pray that they let they continue to get inspired by God, whatever means that, that is possible. I pray that evil is uprooted out of them. Because see, people are nothing but vessels that are being used by wickedness. So I don't want bad stuff to happen to anyone. So when you pray for vengeance, we pray for civil injustices to be taken into the hands of the Lord. And so what God told me today was, he said, the more and more these violations are taking place with my children, the more you can anticipate my return. So be ready. So 
Vengeance should be used and requested by God when there is no option for the person to do anything. See, you have you have the ability to forgive other people. You do. That's within your means. That's not outside the scope of your means. You have the ability to forgive your friend that betrays you. That's within the scope of your means. But when it comes to violations, like for instance, you have people that are being violated all around the world they don't have access to clean drinking water you have some people who are blaming mk ultra on their decisions in life that are celebrities that's violation you have some people who are you know harming others because they are less fortunate than them financially so they're taking advantage of their capital to keep people impoverished god is saying that vengeance is his and when we pray to god for things that are like civil injustice. God never ignores it. So he says that there has been an outcry. There has been an outcry of these injustices taking place around the world. And so what that means is we can anticipate God's return very soon. So there are some old scriptures I want to look at. Um, and then I want to look at this. Um, I want to look at there's a couple articles that I wanted to go over. Okay. Um, and then I want to show you all a video. So I don't know if I have enough time to do all of this. Okay, hold on one second here. Okay, so there's one video. I have I have a couple videos that I wanted to look at. Um, so what I think I'm gonna do is I do have some more scriptures to talk about, but I want to show you all this video. And this is a video of the power of influence. Okay. Wait a minute. I don't know why is it. It's not looking like it's going to play. I don't know. There's one simple okay. anyone can use so their hearing almost overnight. Did you this is a video by um Ted Talk? It's a, a video by Ted Talk. Um and Sean, his name is Sean. 
he basically draws upon his own experiences in the business world as well as the amazing race canada in order to discuss how individuals can positively influence one another to create change um he's highly respected by clients creatives strategists developers and client services alike so sean king is an advertising agency president with a creative director background and 25 years of experience to back it up he's also an amazing race canada competitor who's one part jagger one part sam crow but all business so i wanted to talk about um i wanted to give him an opportunity to reflect on the power of influence but before i play this video i wanted to look at this scripture um uh this is a this is a scripture it's okay so i'll just let me just play the video and i'll, I'll look at the scripture in a minute because the video is kind of long i am not going to do any commentating on it until after the video is over so if you have any questions please go ahead and write them down and i'll respond to you okay afterwards so let's go ahead and listen to this video about the power of influence So if my memory serves me correctly, and I'll be the first to admit that it often doesn't, I was probably about 15 or so years old, and I was standing in line at a grocery store with some friends, and we were having uh, some fun at uh, the expense of my parents. And we were reviewing all of the, the cliche things, or at least they were then, I don't know if they are anymore, the cliche things that parents would say to all of us uh, as we were growing up. You know, um, I'm not worried about everyone else's kids, I'm worried about you. Um, do as I say, not as I do, was another one that I really loved. And my favorite was, because I said so. So we were all laughing about those things, and, 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 and then I started thinking about other things that they said to me that really weren't funny. They were things that, that I, I continue to think about today. Um, and I have no idea if, if they even know that those things stuck with me. And these things were, don't be late. You know, like respect your time enough and other people's time enough to be on time. Um, oh, there's no notes on the screen. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, what was the other one? Do what you said you were going to do. If you're talking to people and you say you're going to do something for them, you do it. So these things stuck with me my whole life. I st I'm standing here now talking about them, but I have no idea why they stuck. I don't remember any real concerted effort from my mother and my father to sort of you know pinpoint that all the time. They just stuck. Now I'm the father of an 18-year-old son who's here. You're welcome for, for that, sorry. <laughs> and and I, I think about it myself. I think you know, what could I be saying to him that might stick? And the problem is, I think I, I think I think about it too much. Like, I, I'm trying to be conscious of it. What could I be saying that he'll talk about maybe someday at a TED Talk? Or is it better to not know? Is it better to just kind of go through it and, and think what you say and believe what you think and all of that and hope, hope that uh, something sticks? Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but what I do know is that when it comes to an adult life and, and being in business, I think it does help to know and be aware of the influence that you can have. And particularly because that influence and the way that you choose to control dynamics can actually 
affect the outcome of any scenario that you might be in. So the first time that I noticed this, I was very young. I, I think it was 18 or 19. I was working my first job at an agency, and I was a production artist. So a production artist is basically the, the bottom of the totem pole from a creative perspective uh, in, in an agency job. And there were three of us working there at the time, and one of those production artists was the go-to uh, person, the one that everybody wanted to work with. Well, I wanted that to be, to be me. I wanted everybody to want to work with me. The problem was I hadn't had enough experience or skills to sort of uh, be that person yet. So I decided to try something different. And that was, I happened to notice that everybody that was working with that person seemed to hate it. It was uh, filled with um, tension and, and people were just angry all the time. And I thought, well, hey, that's not fun. And maybe I could try something different. So I just decided to be fast and pleasant to work with and and um, make people enjoy the process of working with me and it worked um, without getting into all the details I mean 21 22 how many years 25 years later I'm the owner of an agency and I believe that that happened because I sort of made a decision to to be easy to work with but I wasn't as conscious of the impact I was having I didn't know that I was actually influencing what was happening. I just knew that I wanted to enjoy the experience more. The first time I realized the impact that you could have on people, I was in a leadership position at an agency and I was having a particularly bad day, the kind of day where you get up and you just like want to fight somebody. It's not just me, right? <laughs> bad day. Got up, was driving into work and uh, wasn't feeling it, you know? And I had meetings that morning with people were presenting work and they had to show me what they were doing and I don't remember the first meeting but apparently it went bad because the team stood outside my office door probably closer than they remembered being and I heard somebody say do not go in there if you want him to approve your work and I, I swear to you I, I never considered first of all I didn't think anybody noticed I didn't think anybody knew that I was in a crap mood that day and I certainly hadn't considered the impact it would have on the way they felt about what to do next. I mean, to hear somebody say, don't go in his office, he's pissed. Surprising. So there's a, this is when I first began to notice it and understand that you could actually use that impact either for good or for bad. There's a theory that we use at the agency and it's this notion of perspectives and this three sides to every story, I guess, is the whole, the whole thing around it. And if you think about any dynamic that you might be in with a group of people or another person, there's typically three perspectives. There's yours, which I'm sure you feel strongly about. There's somebody else's, the other person that you're um, engaged with. And then there is the outside perspective. And the funny thing about the outside perspective is that often it's the easiest perspective to know what needs to happen in a situation because you're not emotionally attached to any of the other two perspectives. And so what we often will ask people to do in a situation is to think about the other perspective. It's pretty simple. You know yours. Try to imagine what the perspective is on the other side of that triangle. And maybe you can use that to, to help the outcome. Quick story. I, 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 um, we had a person at the agency um, a couple years ago who seemed to have trouble working with just about everybody else. And um, I'm sure this isn't new in, in, in our business, but uh, it's, it's the same for every business. That person eventually had to get engaged to find out what was going on. And, and um, of course, I sat and listened. And, and that person said to me that, you know, they're not, they're not getting it. Nobody else is getting it. And the funny thing about that, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but 
Have you noticed that we, we often are sort of like, our first default position is to try to control what everyone else is doing? We want to control what they think and what they do without really thinking about our, in, our influence on that. You know, you have a dynamic and everybody plays a role in that dynamic. So that was the conversation we had. And this person was quite surprised to think that they had never actually considered their role in that dynamic. And once they did, they started to change the way they acted within that group. It worked for a while. Some people are just unhappy. They have to go. Another story, um, again, I, I, you talk about making a choice. You have to you make a positive influence or you make a negative influence. Quick story about it. I had a client who was particularly upset with the agency. He was calling me all the time. I was getting one, two calls a day about things that were wrong. And I couldn't, I couldn't get my head wrapped around it because it just seemed so unlikely that this much stuff was wrong with the thing that we do every day. So I finally got called to a meeting and I was handed a sheet of paper. The sheet of paper had 17, I'm not even joking, I actually counted them, 17 things that were wrong with what we were doing. Now try to imagine, you know, this is my agency. I've got somebody telling me that there are 17 things wrong with the way we work and I know it's not true. So I boiled instantly. I'm not even joking, like it was Charlie Brown's teacher talking to me. I, I didn't hear the rest of it. Because all I kept thinking was, what do I need to do here to diffuse the situation? I hated it. It was very uncomfortable. And I really didn't know how I was going to address 17 issues, even if that weren't actually the case. So I asked a simple question. I just said, how are you doing? How are you doing? Changed everything. The issue left, the issues at the agency was gone. It became about... Oh, I'm stressed. My team is, is spread too thin. It's too busy. We know it's too competitive in the marketplace. We don't know what's happening. And to which I said, well, how can we help? And all of a sudden, the issue wasn't about 17 things. It was about two or three that were probably impacting what was going on. Now, I've talked a little bit about those are sort of negative situations that you can impact. Uh, uh, you can choose your impact to make them positive. I had a great experience a few years ago. Um, a client of mine asked if her son could come in and talk to me at the office, and uh, he was between high school and college, and he, he came into the meeting. Uh, I said, sure, I'll, I'll sit with him for an hour. We'll have a chat. I don't remember exactly what I said to him, but likely there's a few things I typically tell students. Don't, don't be in too much of a rush to climb the corporate ladder. It's very dangerous, and be careful what you wish for. Uh, stay curious. A lot of people nowadays, you know, there's a sense of empowerment. Don't have that. It doesn't help anybody. And it's not what you learn. It's what you do with what you learned that actually dictates what happens next. So I had this meeting. He left. I never really thought much of it after. And a few years later, I got a card in the mail attached with that. The card was attached to a basket of beer, which is awesome. <laughs> The card is from 2008, and I still have it in my office, and I won't read the whole thing to you, but I will read the last line of that card that says, more importantly, I want you to know that you influenced the life of a wonderful young man. It's pretty heavy. Like, I was like, I don't even remember what I said to that guy. I feel like I should have, right? I should have remembered. But whatever I said worked. That's kind of scary, right? If you can be conscious of it, if you can be aware of, I'm having, I want to have this impact, I want to have that impact, it can be a great thing. It works the other way, too. When you choose to be angry, it works. My son and I, uh, he's going to love this one, we're driving downtown the other day, and, and uh, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, I don't know, there was snow, because there's lots of it. 
and we watched somebody walking down the street, and like a very serious walker. And uh, <laughs> there was somebody at an intersection uh, waiting to pull out, and of course you can't see anything, so they were kind of out in the road and blocking the sidewalk. And the very serious walker uh, gave the guy the finger as she was walking. He was in the way. And the guy in the car sort of laughed, waved as if to say, like, you know, what am I supposed to do? And we had a little debate in the car. I'm sorry, man. He said to me, oh, man, I would have lost it. Yeah, he probably would have. What would that have done? Now there'd be a road rage scene. I'd be getting my phone out. We'd be posting it on YouTube. It'd be awesome. But the guy just waved. He's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm not that angry. I'm going to get on with my day. Completely diffused that situation. You can use it for good or you can use it for bad. My wife and I had the opportunity last year to go on the Amazing Race. It was a pretty uh, intense thing to do, as you might imagine. Incredible, stressful, fun, exciting. Pretty insane. Um, that, that experience was reduced to a couple of episodes, unfortunately, because I dislocated my shoulder on a surfing challenge in Tofino. Um, I carried that injury with me, the baggage of that injury with me for quite a while. Um, you know, it was fascinating to be on there and it was fascinating to have done the challenges and to even to be kicked off was fascinating. But as the days passed, I, I, I carried that with me for a while. I, I remember I felt really disappointed in myself to have gotten all the way there and then to have that happen. Um, I was disappointed that my wife would be upset with me. In fact, I think at one point, arm still dislocated. I actually told her to keep going. You can go find a partner. <laughs> That's what she did. If you're a nurse like me, and if you see what I see, and if you feel what I feel, then you know something. I'm just waiting on it to load you all. I don't know. See, that's at 12 minutes and 33 seconds. Let's see. Okay, I'm gonna give it about another minute or so. Desde el inicio, hemos soñado con crear un futuro mejor. Ahora tenemos la meta de ser carbono neutral antes del 2050 y seguiremos soñando, donde sea que vayamos. Ok, 
okay, so let me just, I'll play this video tomorrow, but, um. So if my memory serves. Let's, I left off at 12 minutes and 33 seconds. So let's talk about this, okay? Um, some things to point out that he said. So he said, just starting off about what his parents, how he grew up and how his parents just always tell him, um, well, you have to do this because I said so. And this is the way that it is because I said it is because I said so. So, um, he also talked about his parents, his parents teaching him not to be late. Don't be late. Respect others in their time. Now, I know that just within the African-American culture, sometimes being on time isn't something that always has been a priority. I'm not going to say this is for all African-Americans or black Americans. This is simply for the Ameri black Americans or African-Americans that it applies to. So respecting others in their time should be something that is taught in the household, but it's not always mentioned. It's like, okay, you need, why is punctuality something that's important? But punctuality is something that is taught to you. Being on time is something that is learned behavior. Racism is a learned behavior. Prejudice is a learned behavior. No one comes out of the womb and then just grows up and, and just have the characteristics of inequality. So respecting other people in time, their time is all about the way that you have been taught in life. Do what you said you were going to do. That's how you're, you're being taught. Some people never do what they say they're going to do because they wasn't taught that. So, you know, like a lot of us, we come with these different influences in our life from our preconceived notions and belief systems. These are belief systems that you already have. We learn and have our belief systems from our parents, from other people, from our friends, our um, network. But remember that your network, your family and friends can't teach you anything past what they've overcome. How can they teach you to overcome things that they have not overcome? They cannot teach you how to have success beyond their level of success. So influence can affect your outcome. When he talked about the job and how he he didn't he wanted to be the best and he and he wanted to really try to you know get this position but he didn't have enough skills or expertise. It's like, okay, you can't teach people how to become successful beyond your level of success, but you can learn how to. 
Like you may not know everything in the Bible, but you have to start from somewhere. So you started picking it up and reading, reading the sentence a day. You started having a conversation with God once a day. How can we overcome these barriers in life? If we're always looking at things from our perspective. So I wanted to talk about three things. Well, the impact that he, he talked about. He said that there are three sides to every story. There's your perspective, their perspective, and the outside perspective. Which is the other. And see, the way I sort of combat these um perceptions is i always look at things from the other perspective <clears throat> it isn't about what i think it isn't about what you think it's about what god thinks what do you think god would say it's like wwjd what would jesus do i remember that they came out with that i think back in the 90s what would Jesus do? What do you think God would say about that situation? So I'm at the two hour mark. Um, let me go ahead. I, I'll play this tomorrow. I left off at 12 minutes and 33 seconds. Um, but I want you all to know that we need to be inspired by God. And the way that we do so is we take small steps. will equate to big wins. It's okay to move at a turtle pace because when you moving at a turtle pace, guess what? You can see things much more clearer than if you are moving in a fast pace. Your perspective changes when you in a moving at a turtle pace than at a fast pace. So it's okay to move a little slower long as you moving efficient. See, you could be effective, but not efficient. And see, God wants us to be efficient. So let's conversate with him more. Let's talk to God more than we talk to people. And let's see how life goes. Day by day, step by step. I'm going to talk to God more than I talked to God yesterday. I'm going to talk to God more than I talk to people. So let, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for allowing us to receive your word today. Keep our hearts softened and melted so that we can fulfill the things that you have for us. God, let us perceive and understand things so that we can see and hear from your eyes and ears. Let us perceive the meaning that you're showing us. Let us understand what you're trying to tell us. Let us interpret it, God. Let no man deceive us because we have the mind of Christ. We have your mind. Let us not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Whatever it takes, God, intervene on our behalf. Intervene for us. We thank you. We give you glory and praise. Most importantly, God, please allow your will to be done. Not our will or anyone else's, but yours. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is still in your atonement blood. Thank you all. I'll see you all tomorrow. If you wanted to get prayer, please send your prayer request to Law's Life Health.